Hey everybody, this is James A. Willis, and uh, this is James A. Willis Reads Fretboard Journal. Normally, uh, come to you guys from uh, the Secret Studio in Nashville, but I have been in New York City for quite some time, and uh, I am coming to you from New York City for today's podcast. So, it's going to be a kind of a special one. It's to celebrate the release of Fretboard Journal issue number 42 which I haven't seen and isn't here, but I'm sure it's gorgeous, just like all the other issues, and I uh, can't wait to get back to Nashville to see it. So I'm here with my, with my buddy, uh, Martin John Butler, and uh, Martin is a, a singer and songwriter who I've known for many years. We live up here on the same, uh, in the same neighborhood, up on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and uh, we it's all talking. because of our motorcycles. Yes, right. I think we've wrecked motorcycles on the same street, actually. I don't know. Did you ever put one down at 96? And uh, I, I put one down right at the intersection at 96. And, uh, first time was... Uh, no, 100 Street in uh, West End. No, first time was, uh, I think it was uh, 125. Yeah. And I'd put a new seat on, and the seat came flying off, so I went off with the seat. Yeah. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> right. You were coming around the... Right. Yeah. My ass just went the other way. I got, you have the record. You... You definitely, I think you have the record of guys I know who've been down. Let's the see, time. I would say three times, right? Uh, but man, one, that's I conservative, Martin. Okay, but one, I couldn't help. The cab driver came the wrong way right, right at me. Yeah, <laughs> that was kind of the, yeah, that was a bad one. Oof. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, on that happy note, um, so Martin and I have known each other for a while, and, 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 uh, you know, I've watched his music evolve, and I'm actually fixing to do a music video for him, so we're sort of, in the mix with some things, but um, what happened, Martin, was the other day when we were talking on the street, um, you know, we just started talking about the way the music industry had changed, and, and you know, guys are talking about it all the time in Nashville, and my friends are talking about it, and, and I, I suddenly realized that you had a, a really unusual insight into that change, so, you know, people are, you know, the question I think New York Times asks is, uh, electric guitar dead and uh and i was just kind of you know i'm kind of curious about how how you feel like that yeah i mean i may be coming into this too hot maybe you want to no, tell me what no, you're doing I, for I, us a little no bit, i but. get it i get it totally you know it, it's an interesting subject because um you know i've been playing a long time and i started music when i was five so you know i've really seen a lot and i have an unusual perspective because you know i was listening to uh my friend's older sister's records. So I remember records that I shouldn't know, but I right. still know them well. And um, that makes me think that it's just a natural change. You know, there have been times in history where uh, the violin was the big instrument. If you were a solo violinist, you were famous, you know. Right. And, um, you know, in the 20s and 30s, it was sort of the horn players that had the attention and, the, you know, they had the spotlight on them. So... Uh, you know, that's how, like in Kansas City, all the horn players used to meet and jam with each other. And because uh, that was the, the center location for the trains to go right. points east and west. And, and a lot of pretty women. Yeah. <laughs> so they say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, uh, you know, so if you think about that, you know, like Miles Davis and, uh, you know, and then Coltrane, they uh, were the stars of their day. They were the big soloists. They were the Jimi Hendrixes of their time. You know, so uh, if you if you think about it, a lot of those changes came along with amplification. You know, whoever right. could play the loudest kind of got the most attention. So yeah. 
eventually, I remember those 50s records, early 60s, always had big sax solos. Yeah. Dion's The Wanderer. You know? Right. That right. great saxophone in there. So uh, once the guitar could be amplified loud enough and got a little distortion on it, it became the preeminent instrument. But I think, you know, in essence, we've heard that for 50 years now. Yeah. And I think it's been done. You know what I mean? And people are moving on to something else. And so now I see it that uh, the guitar has taken its place amongst other instruments again. It's not at the forefront. But it doesn't mean there aren't like phenomenal uh, guitar players doing amazing things. It just means that uh, the kids aren't as excited about the guitar player as they were yeah. 30 years ago, 20 years ago. Yeah, that's, wonder, that's all. Yeah, and I wonder if, you know, maybe, hopefully that'll swing back too, but it, it, it definitely, you know... Uh... Well, I see, I see it like, um, if you look at the, the forms of music that were popular, you know, when we had the uh, swing bands, you know, jazz was the most popular form. Yeah. You know, and now jazz is uh, a category and it has a, it's a niche category. There's a, a, a whole culture and, and world of phenomenal musicians but it's still in the marketplace you know a, a relatively small uh, uh event you know so uh in a way rock and you know rock and roll has now sort of become one of those uh categories that's uh it's a bit of a niche now it's not the preeminent form yeah except it's it's like 10 times bigger than jazz relatively but relative to, uh, you know, the, the modern stars that are doing hip hop or rap, uh, it's it's not very big. Other than one or two groups like uh, Coldplay or right. U two, who managed to maintain a high status. Right. But overall, uh, it, it's another genre now. Yeah. And you know, I don't know if that's good or bad. It seems to be the nature of how it works. Yeah. You know? Well, and there's so many kinds of music that are available now. Basically, at the click of a button. And I, and I know that from being in Nashville for the last six years, it seems like, you know, this Americana, which is a, that's a broad brush, because I know a, a lot of guys who are very, very different, who are in that category, you know, like the Wood Brothers, uh, who I love, you know. Uh, By the way, Sam, I love that video you did with them. Oh, my oh, gosh. Yeah, it's so. it's really, yeah. really special. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that coming out. That's uh that's that was a challenge for me. For By sure. the time people hear so, it, they'll see it. Yeah, and uh, and Sam Lewis, who's somebody who I'm actually hearing here and mm-hmm. next week. Those are guys who are, you know, the guitar is definitely central to their playing, you know, but it but it but it's sort of like it's still not. You almost feel like with with bands like Zeppelin and, and guys like that. I mean, the guitar that hind uh, that, you know that that Jimi Hendrix was playing was as important in your mind's eye as Hendrix almost, you know. Now the musicians, they're, they're well, broader, you know, and the guitar is central to them, but I don't connect a guitar to Oliver or Sam, but I do connect their guitar playing to Oliver and Sam. Sure, and you know, so, like if you look at someone like Jason Isbell, you know, yeah. he's a, a fantastic guitar player, great singer, really yeah. a gifted writer. yeah. But essentially, that's a singer-songwriter. Yeah, he's not really a, a, a guitar player first. And it's funny that that like you're saying that because the guy is one of the best guitar players I've ever heard. I mean, it's really you just don't. 
Yes. I think it doesn't, you know, it's not coming, being presented to the world that way. He's a crazy, crazy good guitar player. Yeah, I've, I've seen I, one or two of his videos and I, I was impressed. Strangely enough, we, we play a, a, a bit in a bit of a similar style. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, I look forward to meeting him one day. Yeah. But, uh, well, the, hey, Jason, how you doing? <laughs> you know, and, and uh, hey, Amanda, how you doing? You know, Jason's wife, Amanda uh, Pearl Shires, is a fiddle player and a friend of mine. Right. Well, yeah. friends of James is starting to become like friends of Bill. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's expanding. Yeah. yeah. It's, Six degrees of separation. Totally. You know. Yeah. Now, I love those those guys together. I got to right. I got to spin off of this for a minute because. Mm -hmm. I feel like I need to, I, I want to share something with you personally. Sure. Hello, audience, join us along. But I saw Jason, and uh, Jason was the uh, artist in residence at the, uh, at the Ryman. Okay. And I saw him and Amanda play, and I swear I felt like I was in, I was watching one of those things that in the future, you know when you, when you watch an old black and white video of, uh, you know, Johnny and um, uh, oh my God, Elvis! <laughs> no, no, Johnny Cash, Johnny and, Cash and, okay. and 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 his wife, for God's sake! Oh, oh June, I'm so in June, June Carter Cash. When you watch him, you feel like, oh my God, you know what just happened? What would it have been was, like to be there? It was there? historic in a way. Yeah, I swear, man, it felt like that. It, right. The chemistry and the music was just through the roof. So again, those are musicians right. who I think in the '60s or something. I mean, it's like. It's weird that that the penetration of their talent is as huge as it is when you're in the music world bubble. It, you know, I feel like it, I wish it filtered out more. You know, I mean, I wish I, the, I the totally nineteen year old kid in the Bronx heard it, and I don't know if he's getting to. Yeah, you know, there, there's there's I'm sure papers are being written as we speak about the whole uh, situation we've evolved into in the music business. You know, yeah, but. Uh, you know, a, a case in point, like an artist like like Jason or someone like Ryan Adams, right? They're they're essentially doing what was done in the '60s, which was Buffalo Springfield, the Birds, the the artists that you know, that were in those groups who all went into their own solo groups, Crosby, Stills and Nash, etc. Um, they're they're doing a kind of singer songwriter folk rock kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, with all due respect, because, you know, I think uh, Ryan is uh, uh, brilliant, bordering on a genius. He, he's just such a, a beautiful writer. And uh, his, his music is, is really soulful when he hits it. It's, it's moving. Um, it's still not original in that sense that it was then. So on a certain level, people have heard it before. Well, I think, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I probably, I'm not, uh, I'm not. Uh, By the way, qualified. I'm including myself in, in yeah. that category yeah, I, too. Yeah, and I'm not qualified to right. address that on a music, right? You know, w with music knowledge, but I, I can only relate it to art, visual arts, and and I say to people sometimes, there's there's no art that I do that I can totally own because I'm on the shoulders of everybody that's influenced me and it's it's a language that's sort of out there for me i can pick and choose i can pick from impressionism i can pick from you know this i can sometimes i'm cartooning like you know big daddy roth but if i draw a hot rod with a monster in it i'm 
chasing his tail. But I don't think that I'm copying him. It's original, but it's just I have a broader language hmm. to speak with well, I, thanks I, to him. Right. I do so, think they yeah. have expanded you know, yeah. the, the, the uh, vocabulary. Yeah. You know, and, and brought uh, some emotion to it that perhaps was uh, uh, it's a heightened level yeah. at times. So maybe they've gone a little deeper. Yeah. But within the genre. But, you know, one of the, the, the things about perhaps why, for instance, that music is not preeminent is that uh, it, it's still not a new form. Right. You know, you know what I mean? Like, like, when we talk, uh, I forget who it was that uh, described uh, great art as, or, or, or a true genius in, in art or music, as someone who creates a genre. You know, there's really, if you think about Americana, the, the, the first Americana uh, band I can think of is the band. And essentially, 90% of everything I listen to when I listen to the Americana stations is a direct relation to that. It's it's very very similar. There's a southern flair to it. Yeah. Uh, there there's a certain uh, acoustic aspect to it, uh, a certain approach to the vocal, and and I love it. But I also know the roots of it, and it hasn't really surpassed its roots uh, many many times. Well, I think probably what you have to do at that point, and I'm only again I'm not qualified as a musician to really get into this, but. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that you, then you have to, at least like say for instance with Jason Isbell, the way I look at him and listen to him is, A, I love the music and I love mm -hmm. to listen to him and he's got great chops and he's, got, he's a great guy to just sort of know about, but I also know his backstory and then I listen to his message. Mm -hmm. And so his sound becomes a delivery platform for something that he's trying to enlighten me mm -hmm. too and I do think that there are musicians out there like Oliver and like Jason like Sam Lewis mm -hmm. who are uh, or like you know um, really you know trying to teach you something in a way or sharing something with you that's a general you know an experience and then you have you know these kick-ass musicians who are just you know telling you something but having a great time like Boo Ray, mm -hmm. Nicky Lane you know, it's, it, there's just so many great musicians out there right now. Well, you know, I mean, I think that uh, there's no way of avoiding sounding like well, somebody else. I, I do think that, you know, one thing we are experiencing is that uh, the message that comes with it, it, it has been refined. And, you know, some of the artists you mentioned, they're definitely taking it forward a little bit, you know. And I... I uh, think of my own work the same way. Uh, the, I have a, a new record that will be out uh, in a couple of months, and uh, in a way I see it like a book. There's really a, a, a beginning, a middle, and an end, and there's, uh, there's a message. You know, and uh, what I kind of deal with is uh, when we're, when we're uh, dealt tragedy or chaos or uh, uh, just live in an environment where we don't feel quite as secure as we'd like to feel, the question that comes out of that is, what then must we do? Right. You know, and, and you know, the answer is, uh, is kind of a cliche, but in a way the Beatles had it right in the first time, which is, uh, you know, I have, the, I have a song uh, that the first video that we're going to do together is called uh, Give You Love, which uh, the subtitle is The Best That You Can Do. And, you know, my philosophy is that 
you do a little somewhere, the little whatever you can do. If it's if it's helping a blind guy across the street one day, or uh, you know, giving a guy a quarter. Right. If that's if that's the extent of what you can do, the love that you can spread, do that. And if everybody just just does their little piece, it's exponential. Right. And and it's a beginning. And that, and you know perhaps that environment would inspire people to do better. But uh, you know the work I'm I'm working on is exactly dealing with with you know those uh, questions. And hopefully I have some answers. Well, see, so you may have just kind of answered the question that we were digging at before, because in some ways, if you're playing music at the level that I know you are, and your voice is really great to listen to, and thank you. Jeff. So that's the hurdle, is that I'm enjoying listening to it. Now it's up to you to tell me the message or get your ideas across, or mm -hmm. speak to me in some way. And in that respect, it doesn't matter what tool you're using, what you're who cares who you sound like, because the words are new. Sure. And the thoughts are new, you know. And sure, it's, you know, it's, you know, it's so funny too, because uh, one of these years I have to write a book. Um, like I had a funny experience where, um, uh, you know, I've been in a couple of bands, did a couple of records, you know, and... Well, that, uh, was it, I, you know... I, I want to hear. Yeah, this maybe is a book you would write, but but I know some of your backstory from way back in the day, and it's mm -hmm. really kind of crazy. So, can you kind of kind of give me the the I'm short the, the short piece version? of cake? No yeah. worries. Uh, so and then I'll write the book, y'all. That, that's okay. <laughs> you know. So I, um, uh, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn. My mother was British, and she married my father. In, you don't in say when when really he really then. Well, so, oh, sorry, so that was Irish. That's okay. <laughs> well, you should hear my wife's British accent. Oh, really? It's bad. <laughs> oh. uh, but it's beautiful. Well, I'm British. Anyway, so uh, my dad was in the Air Force in the 50s, married my mother, came back to, to uh, America. So I was in London until I was like three or four, and then I came to Brooklyn. And where, as far as my memories begin, I'm from Brooklyn. You know, so uh, in school, we got involved in... Uh, uh, music early. First day in school, I was put in a choir. By um, a couple of months, I was asked to be the uh, lead vocalist with the New York uh, All-City Chorus. So we started actually doing gigs. I'm six years old, we're traveling to different auditoriums, and I'm singing as a soloist with the chorus, which was great fun. Uh, they eventually did a recording when I was nine years old. They took me to a studio. Uh, I did this recording with the chorus backing me up, and uh, it was like a PBS thing that they did here in, in New York City. And so uh, I was busy even, even then. Uh, so I started a couple of bands when I was young. And uh, we had one band in Brooklyn that was getting popular. Uh, and I knew that uh, we had to get into Manhattan because uh, that was where you went to make it. You know? So I played some gigs at some of the famous cafes in New York, you know, Café Wah, and uh, you know, that you hear about where they're now you know, on their last legs, but it's where, you know, Hendrix or Dylan played, you know, those kind of places. So uh, what happened was I had a band uh, right after that group, which was, you know, uh, called Pandora, which uh, has an odd history. Uh, the guys in the group went on to be in famous groups. The, the drummer, uh, Frank LaRocca, went on to be with, uh, uh, let's see, John Waite, uh, Tom Petty, he produced the soundtrack to Philadelphia, and they won the Oscar. So uh, the bass player went on to be with a couple of great bands, and so did the, uh, the vocalist, uh, Rick Prince. So that band did a uh, uh, recording in Cleveland, Ohio. 
we went out there because some manager had a, a loft and some and a, a guy who was in a band named Granicus, who was a great guy, uh, turned on the machines and we just recorded live. And I was 16 years old. So uh, we came back to New York, did some showcases, were offered some deals. And the guys were offered gigs with David Johansson, who was from the New York Dolls. So they jumped ship, joined Johansson's band, and they did do like three or four records, world tours, et cetera, et cetera. But they didn't see the logic that their hired people, not a partner in, in, a, in an enterprise. So I was really annoyed because that band was really, really phenomenal. Okay, so I, I worked really hard and fast and uh, hooked up with some guys in New York and started a band called The Demons. Uh, the Demons were part of the, the punk movement here in New York. We played all the two clubs there were to play, you know, in Manhattan, which was Max's Kansas City right. and uh, CBGB's and a few of the other clubs in the surrounding areas. We were friends uh, with all the uh, now historical uh, punk groups. Blondie were good friends. Chris Stein played bass for us for a couple of weeks because we needed a bass player. Uh, Billy Ficker from television used to jump on stage when our drummer didn't show up. We were all part of a group, and maybe there were 15 people who would come out to see shows then. Yeah. So I knew all the famous bands. Uh, I'm still good friends with uh, uh, Andy Chernoff from The Dictators. So The Demons uh, uh, would have been on the first Live at CBGB's album. But we broke up because Clive Davis offered us a million dollars to sign, and my singer decided he wanted a controlling interest in the band, so I quit. I went to London, and it was completely dead. I came back to New York, and by now the whole scene was really blown up. Uh, everybody was getting famous, and no one knew who we were. Right. So we started again. Uh, we did a live at CBGB's Volume 2, which was never released, but the producer of that was Craig Leon, who had produced the Ramones and Blondie, and he liked what he heard. He took us to Mercury Records. So uh, the Demons signed with Mercury Records. Uh, we did our album, recorded in a fantastic studio, had uh, great engineers. But by then, uh, there were issues in the band. The, the album that we did sounded kind of like punk pop. And it wasn't my thing. They, they kept all my songs off, save for one. And I didn't like the direction the band was going. And I fought hard, but I was outvoted to get the sound we want. Nevertheless... Uh, the record was released, and we sold about 250,000 copies. Uh, we were number one in 11 states, and our drummer was killed, and our singer was arrested and put in Rikers Island for drugs. Yeah. So uh, he was hanging out with Steve and Tyler, and they were both getting uh, blasted, and uh, he got caught. So uh, Mercury that, That's not the Steve and Tyler that you guys all know, by the way. Right. It's uh, another, uh, <laughs> yeah, another guy. That's Stefan. Right. Okay, sorry, Martin. I'm right. just trying to keep anyway, it clean, man. Oh, okay. I'm sorry about that. I, <laughs> I, I assume that was like common knowledge I'm sure by now. that he's cool. They, they've gotten yeah. a lot of mileage yeah, out yeah, about, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. over that. Yeah, uh, things were okay. That sort of cast. Out all right. Anyway, so uh, Mercury dropped the band because the singer was, was in jail and the drummer was dead. So I started a couple of bands, uh, got a couple of gigs, a couple of uh, offers. Didn't quite work out. And while that was happening... Uh, uh, a woman that I'd, I'd known uh, who had been in art school started an ad agency. She asked me to, uh, if I'd be interested in writing a commercial. And as an artist, I thought, no, I don't want to do that kind of thing. But thinking about the hassles I'd had in the music business, I thought, well, perhaps this could become a, an apprenticeship to becoming a record producer. Because uh, if you're writing and producing commercials, 
you're hiring musicians. I became a signatory with AFTRA. If you're hiring musicians, you're hiring the top musicians in town because they're all getting paid. So I started writing commercials and uh, it did well. I won a Clio. I won an RIAA Mercury recording for best commercial of the year. And uh, I have a buddy named Frank Lupo, who's a, a well-known uh, TV producer. He put some of my music on some of his TV shows like uh, Walker, Texas Ranger. And yeah. he did a whole bunch of them. So I was, you know, coming out of the radio on some TV show. So for a while, that lasted for about 10 years. And uh, I still had always in my mind thought I might get back to my own work. But I was doing well as a, a, a producer of uh, music for radio and television. Yeah. So uh, uh, in that time, I got uh, really ill. And uh, it was a setback. And I could no longer kind of pursue uh, my career on, uh, in, in, the, in the front lines anymore. So I began teaching uh, guitar privately at home. Right. And, um, and I, you've taught my, I think you've, spent, you've certainly taught some of my friends, and you've taught, taught my Annabelle, daughter, wow. Annabelle. Yeah. 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 And, and so, uh, you know, while I was trying to get well, that became my life. And, uh, you know, I'd put uh, the music business aside and uh, became a, a, a guitar teacher. And uh, I wasn't so uh, accomplished that I would... Uh, compare myself to like you know some of the, the great players like uh, John McLaughlin but I had developed a, a really uh, interesting teaching method for uh, beginners and intermediate players and uh, how I got there was I had a piano teacher who I studied with for four months because at that time I was uh, conducting orchestras doing commercials or uh, small orchestras right. you know? and uh, uh, or, so I had to be able to speak a little uh, more clearly to uh, piano players and and uh, other musicians. So, uh, in four months, I learned more from him than I learned in all my years studying. You know, so because I had studied music at Brooklyn College and I'd done uh, uh, studied with a couple of famous guitar players. So, um, it really was uh, uh, a means to an end that I was teaching. But uh, one cool uh, anecdote from that is uh, my teacher's teacher's teacher was Mozart. That's pretty good. Because uh, you know, if if a 14-year-old kid studied with Mozart and lived to 90 and had a student when he was 78 who lived 80 years. Do the math. It's, it's entirely yeah. feasible that that would happen. And I feel that a, a, a little sliver of that lineage survived in my teaching method because uh, the kids I've worked with uh, really have managed to play without the same kind of stress and, and, and expectation of... Uh, uh, accomplishment and they, it's, it's been a good thing for me and for I think for the kids so uh, it was only as I began to get well that I started to pursue my own uh, music again and I have to thank my wife for that uh, Janet Daly uh, now Janet Daly who's also, who's also a musician right and, yeah. uh, and before we get too far away from right. this my podcast teacher was Jason Berlin Whoa! <laughs> yeah, okay. How about right, so, that? So, but she, so she's also a right. So Janet, uh, you know, we we connected in in a kind of magical way. Uh, that's a story uh, unto itself. But um, amongst other things, uh, you know, Janet is a, uh, a, a yoga teacher and reflexologist and you know wellness coach now. But um, at the the back in the day, she was the lead vocalist in a band called the Pleasure Bombs, and. Uh, they're a fantastic group, and uh, Tony Visconti produced their album, 
and it was poised to be a big thing. But uh, she didn't like the music business. She didn't like what was going on, the politics within the band. And she's the kind of person who uh, just would do the right thing every uh, opportunity she got. And she didn't like it when people wanted otherwise. Just a um, second. Come hey, on you in. Know who that, that, you know who that is. Come on in, Monica. Hi, it's okay. That's, that's just, my dog, yeah, Charlie, yeah. who's the uh, hey, Charlie. resident uh, tricolor cocker spaniel who's yeah. guarding the door. Yeah. And now, the, now, see, this is, this, is the, this is the way the James A. Willis, James A. Willis Reads Fretboard Journal podcast is supposed to happen, Martin, and there's crazy stuff going on. Mm-hmm. So the word girl just showed up to take a picture of us. So. Well, hi. Yeah. Hi. So let's, Hello. Can you see us both, or should we get <laughs> no, uh, nearby? This is perfect. Wow. Good and you know and right in the like right in the middle of a a very important story too, That's Martin. Okay. But you well, know, I was yeah. I was saying that so uh, Janet had this uh, a group called the Pleasure Bombs and uh, big producers and uh, big management behind it, and uh, uh, she just decided to walk away from the music business, and I don't blame her considering the stories that I've heard. So uh, the 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 really uh, wonderful thing about that is that I've got a tremendous vocalist in house. And yeah. uh, we uh, did an album together. Uh, she was uh, singing uh, or chanting mantras uh, in the morning, and I kept hearing her, uh, you know, do uh, this sort of musical, rep- repetitive kind of thing. And one day I thought, you know, why don't you sing that to some of my music? And I started playing some, some riffs, and she kind of sang along, and for some reason they fit. So we uh, did a, a, a little brief recording, uh, and it's called the NAM Music Project. I remember when you guys right. were doing that. And yeah. uh, it, it was really well received. And yeah. uh, in a way, I feel like I kind of started a new subgenre. I called it New Mantra, yeah. because it really was, wasn't that sort of uh, generic, spacey sound that you hear in the, so many New Age records. Right. You know, and like every other record's... Uh, uh, you know, flat seven four progression or something that just bores the heck out of you. So uh, it, it turned out really well, and hopefully, uh, you know, if I can afford to stay home and uh, do some more work on the computer, uh, Janet and I will do some more yeah. records in that vein. But yeah. the good side is that she's singing back up on my new record with me, or, or you know, harmonies, because uh, it's it's surprising, but it it makes sense that. We blend together really, really well, and who knows, you know, it's possible at some point, you know, we'd, we'd do some work together if I could uh, get traction with what I'm doing and uh, yeah. do some shows with it. Well, we're going to have, you'll have to tell everybody or where, where, you know, at the, in fact, do it right now. If anybody's interested in hearing some of your music, where would they go to oh, it's, right it's now to listen to it? Pretty easy. Uh, uh, if you just go to martinjohnbutler.com, uh, there's a playlist there of uh, a whole bunch of tracks, and you can hear uh, currently, you know, what's happening, as well as uh, sample the Pandora album, the Demons album. Yeah. Uh, I did a soundtrack for uh, a movie last year uh, uh, for a uh, winery in in Israel called Tulip Winery, uh-huh. and they have only uh, 
uh, disabled people working on manufacturing it. It's a beautiful story, and uh, there was a documentary done by it, so I contributed my music to that. So uh, uh, that felt good, you know, to uh, contribute to such a, a, a kind of worthy cause. So uh, you can hear a little bit of that as well, uh, all from my website, Piece of Cake. And uh, uh, my, my album, Watching the Days Fall, uh, which I did about nine years ago, uh, is available in most of the places online, iTunes right. and everything. But uh, that album is an interesting story because uh, uh, the, the, the short version of it is uh, I was told I was dying you know, when I wasn't well and I didn't want to uh, leave my friends with just a couple of photos. So after uh, three surgeries, I took myself to a studio uh, in Staten Island because a friend lived nearby and knew the owner. And... I just played and sang as many songs as I could think about uh, that, that, I, that I could just, you know, come up with that, uh, of, of mine and uh, thought, well, that's a nicer thing to leave my friends with, you yeah. know. And uh, I did that in one take, did wow. a, a number of songs. And I began to get well, which was uh, surprising. And as I, I got uh, better and better, friends said, well, why don't you finish this? So... I added all the parts to the album later, but I decided rather than redoing those original uh, guitar and vocal tracks, I'd leave them because it was really it honest. Seems like you should. They were just one take, you know, live. Yeah. And uh, so that album has a, has a certain uh, energy because of it. And uh, uh, on the new album, I redid one track, the, 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 title, the first track from it, because uh, uh, I, I felt like it would be fun to see my... Uh, Evolution, uh, evolution yeah. of, of how I'm doing and that one track I felt was kind of a hit record and I'd like people to hear it on the new record as yeah. well. well so cool. we shall see if yeah. it becomes so. Well, I, you know, we didn't spend, this all, this, you know, the story, the story of your New York experience and how it's related to the guitar and all those things was really interesting to me and so I'm glad that we were able to share a little mm-hmm tip of the iceberg of that um i'd love to get a song from you if you feel like playing one i mean we, we could do something or we can you know just just a little sidebar i forgot to mention so uh the pan uh, uh, the pandora i was story. gonna ask you about right that we didn't pandora. get around to it so right. uh, what happened was somebody found a copy of it in a drawer in cleveland loved it so much showed it to some record companies and Monica's throwing toys to the dog. Mark, that's sorry. okay. He, All right, go he ahead. Needs, he needs something to occupy him. So uh, they love this so much that uh, a, a small uh, independent record company put out a CD of the Pandora album, which was essentially our demo. And technically it was illegal yeah. because we hadn't signed well, any They agreement. tried to find you guys, but, right? But, yeah, but yeah. They, they, they tried to find us and said so on the liner notes. And we only found out about it years, years later. And uh, uh, the odd thing was uh, I did get in touch with the record company and I was only happy that it saw the light of day. Uh, I wasn't angry that right. someone did this thing. It was done for love and, and you got to kind of follow the love sometimes. Well, I mean, and had you heard it? Well, I'm sorry, well, here's, no, actually the, you heard it? Or? No, actually the greatest thing was that it was great to hear because I only had an old cassette copy of it. Yeah. And... Uh, what what was even more surprising? For those of you who don't know, that's tape on two right. pools of plastic, little skinny ones. Yeah. There. But uh, the the wildest thing was Rolling Stone wrote about it, and they said this band was like better than all the other bands of that era, 
and come out, come out wherever you are because your time is now in Rolling Stone. So we were like, we found out five years later. So what's happening is, is that we're uh, talking with uh, a record label now and we're going to, they're going to release a vinyl uh, reissue of the, the Pandora album, which is really fun and interesting. And my hope for it is that, uh, you know, we'll do a little small documentary about it. And uh, I hope that perhaps some of the tracks get placed on like a TV show or something, you know, like when uh, Scorsese did the vinyl uh, show. It, right. it would be perfect for, for that kind of a thing, right. you know. So uh, it's it's great that it did see the light of day because even though it was us doing a demo, you can only imagine how it would have been had we had a proper producer and a budget because it's pretty amazing as yeah. is. And I was 16 years old, maybe 17 when I recorded it. So I have uh, heard it. Yeah, and so yeah. Uh, you can just go on YouTube and look at click on Pandora, and there'll be some other Pandoras who have done music, but you'll right. you'll see us. And uh, strangely enough, I've always been suspicious. They since they didn't have a picture of us, an artist drew what he thought we <laughs> looked like yeah. in a sort of glam sort of style, because the band was a bit of a kind of a, a punk glam band, yeah. uh, which is an odd combo. It was kind of a transitional time. I remember the time. cartoon very well. Right. And the the bass player and drummer look exactly like the cartoon. And the singer looks the way he looks, except they gave him pink hair and he had black hair. And I kind of had lighter hair then. So I it made me wonder if they had seen one photograph or something or if someone had given them a description. But I, I, do suspect, I do suspect that somebody uh, saw some picture of yeah, us or something. Yeah, they must have, yeah. But... Uh, uh, hopefully we'll remedy that. We have some photos from the old days that they'll put on the album cover when it came out. No, a cartoonist. Aha! Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, sure it would be a little more interesting than that. So what should we play? That's your call, man. Let's see. I'm on James's guitar, by the way. It's a beautiful D28. Oh, yeah. You know, I... It could be its inaugural run. Yeah, you know? I, yeah I think it might be the first time it's, it's been recorded. But, yeah, I got that from my buddy Gabe over at Blues Vintage Guitars in, uh, in Nashville. He, uh... He kind of he kind of tricked me. He knew I'd been looking for one, and he just said, "Hey, I borrow it for a while." And I don't remember exactly what what I got what I got separated from to get it, but I'm sure it was a stinger, right, Gabe? Anyway, it's a great one. Thank you. All right, Martin, so let's see. Ahead. What should we play? Uh, well, maybe I'll play something heavy. So, because uh, there's a good story behind this, uh, we're going to do uh, the song, uh, uh, you know, "Give You Love," but. After that, in uh, late August, I'm going out to Seattle uh, to uh, put a video together. My uh, brother-in-law, who's a, a veteran and uh, uh, advisor to national security, uh, is uh, uh, in a motorcycle club out there called the Brothers in Arms. So I did a benefit for them about uh, uh, two years ago and got to meet the guys. And it was an amazing experience there. They were all had the biggest hearts you can imagine, and yet they'd all been through some some really difficult things, and uh, you know bore the weight of that. Yeah. So uh, I I uh, wrote a song, you know, for them, and uh, specifically also for uh, my brother-in-law and his son, my nephew, because uh, my nephew had been uh, one of the things he did in the military was uh, he went to research and try to get closure for. Uh, soldiers missing in action so right. he traveled the world to do that and you can imagine how heavy that was yeah. you know so uh i i wrote this song to uh you know hopefully maybe raise awareness 
for them and because uh, I feel that uh, uh, if anybody if anything should be at the forefront people who served should be able to get medical care yeah you know and yeah. and even uh, mental health care just just advisement and not just uh, put into this huge system where they you know kind of in a long line of uh, people waiting for care you yeah. know so uh, anyway so this song was for them and it, 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 um, it, you'll you'll get the whole thing I'm just trying to I'm blanking out for a second uh, I'll, I'll just play it. Jimmy rode on his bike in the wind He didn't know if he'd ever see them again Jimmy called home and gave his goodbyes He didn't know if he'd ever catch up to his life Cause it's a long road back Whether you spent time in Vietnam or Iraq And it takes a cold hard light To cover the ghost of the missing To come in the night stopped on the way to St. Paul He didn't care what the day was or what people thought He walked to a bar and he asked for a beer And the regulars said, what are you doing here? Jimmy told them he's just passing through Knowing they don't care for anyone new he said his brother once lived by the pines near the woods He'd pay his respects and then be gone for good But it's a long road back Whether you spent time in Vietnam or Iraq And it takes a cold hard light To cover the ghosts of the missing that come in the night Street. He didn't know what they wanted or what fate would bring He didn't care anymore about fighting to win He'd given his all like his brothers all did But it's a long road back Whether you spent time in Vietnam or Iraq And it takes a cold hard light to cover the ghosts of the missing that come in the night oh. 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 Ooh, thank you Martin man that's epic 
Thank you, brother. Kind of going to another world. Yeah, that I'm doing yeah. That. yeah, it's a good one. And the lesson here, not that anybody that's listening to James A. Willis reads Fretboard Journal, if you're connected or like Fretboard Journal, needs me to tell you anything. But dig for good music. Dig around for good real music because it is there and it's hiding and just dig around, man. Yeah, yeah, no, I I just leave the uh, uh, you know one of the uh, Americana stations on, and inevitably uh, someone really good pops up I've never heard. I, there was a track by uh, a guy named Slade Cleaves I heard uh, that just knocked me out. It was so yeah. good. I wrote him a, a note. He uh, got back to me. He told me who was on the record, and it's like Harmony Kelly on bass. It's like these stellar players. Yeah. And you're just like, wow, I heard it. I didn't know who you were, but man, that's killer. Yeah. So it's out there, and you're right. You know, just just yeah, you uh, just gotta around, around a bit. for it. So, okay. and hopefully that because that was beautiful, Martin, and I hope that'll inspire. The word girl is leaving. See you later. Thanks for the pictures. Bye. Hopefully uh, you you caught my. Some really good pictures. Hopefully you yeah. caught me on my good side. I've yeah. discovered there's yeah. a good and bad side. Yeah. Yeah. Bye bye. See ya. Thanks, Monica. So, but yeah, so that so so the the last thing, Martin, in closing, because we we're, we're we're running on here, and I know I'm doing this at your house. Thankfully, you have a tiny recording studio set up across the street. Um, uh, we've told people where they can where they can find your music, but I've got a quick question for you about the instruments that you play. Mm -hmm. Over the years, your taste have changed. Like I'm sure that when you sure. were downtown, you were you know into the you know i'm sure you had a probably les paul a strat well, yeah no it's an interesting thing if i think of the history of the guitars you know that i've had uh uh i began uh with a, a kind of when i began what i mean is like first pro recording was pandora i had a les paul uh and the neck had a problem and uh i was friendly with a uh i was friendly with a <laughs> dogs um, eating the camera yeah <laughs> Uh, with a, a music store owner, uh, uh, you know, uh, named Brian Cohen in, in Connecticut, from Brian Guitars back then, and he sent it to Gibson three times. Finally, they just put a new neck on, and unknown to me because it, it was which is really no small on, task on a Les Paul. The neck they put on was a '59 neck. It had oh, been right. sitting on the wall. They grabbed off, so I couldn't believe it. So I had sort of half a '59 Les Paul, uh, not understanding its true value. I sold it to. Uh, uh, Walter Lohr, who was uh, uh, my second guitar player in one of the versions of the Demons, uh, Walter went on to play with uh, Heartbreakers, the, the New York Heartbreakers, with uh, Johnny Thunders and uh, uh, in the band, uh, and uh, so that guitar uh, went away. But that's what I used on the Pandora record. Uh, with the Demons, I began playing a, a Les Paul Jr., the one, uh, the '61 version with the gigantic fat black uh, P90 pickup, right. which was probably the best sounding guitar you could ever get if you want to you know, do something hard rocking. And uh, uh, as uh, time passed, I, I sort of slipped into a, a Telecaster and Stratocaster Fender mode for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had a 51 Esquire, which unfortunately, like some of my other better guitars, got sold to pay the rent. Uh, then uh, I had a band called The Very Few, and uh, in that era, I was playing uh, a 62 Gretsch Country Club. Yeah. And it was just a, a wonderful piece of work, immaculate, uh, beautiful sound. And I had to sell that again, you know, to, to pay some bills. So um, that's the story of art. Man. It, it, it does seem to happen, you know. Yeah. And I, I wish I was one of those guys that had been able to hold on to these, these prizes. But, uh, you know, so uh, 
then I started playing more of an acoustic kind of thing and uh, you know played a, 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 on my um, solo album, the Watching the Days Fall record. I used the D28 borrowed from a friend. But then I bought a, uh, a one-of-a-kind D41 from Mandolin Brothers in Staten Island, which was mm -hmm. a, a sort of mecca for acoustic guitars. Sure. And uh, uh, that one was called the Turbo. And there was only 11 made to its exact specifications, and only two were uh, shade tops. So uh, I had one of two, and I picked the better one, of course. And uh, the guitar was magnificent, probably uh, the finest instrument I've ever heard. Uh, you played it. Yeah, I remember and, that guitar. And uh, uh, it was like having a Stradivarius. Yeah. Uh, I had to sell it again last, last year to pay the bills. So, yeah. uh, you know, right now I'm just kind of uh, holding on with my you know, second-tier guitars. Yeah. Hopefully I'll, uh, you know, bump up to something a little better soon. Yeah, but, come back. Yeah, I'm using a, a Les Paul Studio and a, uh, uh, an odd guitar, which is a, a Fender, it's a Squire 51, which is a one-off Squire. They never made... Uh, uh, it's not a copy of a Fender. It's a kind of a hybrid. It has a oh, Telecaster yeah. we neck. We talked about that. Yeah. yeah, it has a Telecaster neck, kind of a Stratish body, and a great little sound. So uh, I use those two electrically, and uh, I use uh, uh, the uh, Doyle Dykes uh, Taylor guitar for acoustic yeah. work right now, which is a pretty good guitar. Yeah. Uh, records very nicely, nice, nice and tight and bright. So, uh, you know... Uh, you better be careful though. This uh, D twenty eight yeah, yeah, of yours no. is uh, That's HD twenty eight. Kind of, kind of. Ah, yeah. <laughs> so it's I'll like. Be after it. yeah. All right. We'll play us out, Mark. So How about go, that, man. Yeah, I'll, I'll play a little piece from uh, yeah. uh, one of the tracks called, uh, uh, you know, from my upcoming record. So, uh, rather than talk over what he's playing, I'm going to get this out of the way real quick. Go check out Martin's music, and. Uh, Thanks for listening, guys. I'm sorry that, that, that I, I'm late with this podcast, but I'm going to be hammering them home. I've got a few lined up. And uh, thanks for all the, the, the listening and the following, and I appreciate right. it. And uh, so this is James A. Willis reads Fretboard Journal. Thank you, Fretboard Journal, for uh, not putting me in jail for doing this. And, uh, and I'll see all of you guys uh, soon. All right, to... Martin, thank you so much. It's my pleasure, and uh, now I have to go get a copy. Have yeah. A good, have a good read. Oh, no, I know. I'll get you a copy of 42 that's just All right. out. The fire's falling Down the hills behind the rain I can see the mist is rising Through the trees that break away I can hear a baby's crying for its mother's gentle touch I can see the people trying Though they've taken much too much But you can only give your love It's the best that you can do Give your love in everything you Everything you touch The best that you can do Is give your 
see the wires flashing On a pole that's been torn down I can hear the thunder crashing As the sparks fly all around I can hear some people calling Out for help while on the ground I can see their faces looking For the God that can't be found You can only give your love It's the best that you can do And everything you touch Best that you can do Falling down the hills behind the rain.